Okay, you got me? Okay. Good morning. It's really good to see each one of you this morning. I'm very happy and uh, excited to be here for with you and to be able to present to you a lesson from God's Word. Preferably, I would much rather hear somebody else talk about this subject, but this was the, the lot that was given to me. I've always had trouble with this subject. This was something, not so much that I have trouble in the fact of, of loving somebody, but the fact of expressing my love towards somebody. I've always had that as a hindrance for me. So to get this lesson and to be able to stand here and talk to you about it sometimes is a challenge for me. I remember I was given a subject, I believe, in Wheeler over this subject. Uh, and as I preached it, I was, I was preaching about love and saying the word love to one another. You know how you go and you'll say, hey, I love you. You know, I'm like, yeah, you too. Yeah, it was just hard. And so Josh Pinion, he just always, after that, he just gave me trouble all the time over this. He's like, Jason, I love you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you too, Josh. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about loving one another. And we sing about it all the time, and I've gotten better since then. I love y'all. I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> what does it mean to love one another? You know, a lot of times, and this is maybe, maybe this is where I have the most trouble with it because I have trouble with the word love, not so much in the fact as how the Bible means it, but how the world means it. Because the world has taken the word love and they have twisted it and mangled it until it is completely unrecognizable to what the Bible talks about. And maybe that's my problem really whenever it comes to the word love and saying I love you. The Bible tells us that we are to love one another. We're to love one another because God is love. And we're not to hate one another. We're to forgive one another and all these other things. And really, whenever we look into the study this morning, we find out that if we have that love that Christ talked about that we have for one another, then it's easy to do those things which we're commanded to do to one another. John chapter 13 is where this commandment comes from. John 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, that's pretty powerful. Just our display of love for one another is enough to make others recognize that we are a disciple of Christ. Our outpouring of love that we show toward one another. It's not simply a, I love you, but it's our action toward one another. So what does it mean to love one another? Well, we have already briefly talked about that. It's more than just speaking a word. Because we can say meaningless words to one another and, and it doesn't really add up to anything. It doesn't match our actions that we have for one another. So love is an action. It's not just another word that we say, but it's what we do for one another. It's how we approach one another. It's how we conduct ourselves with one another. 
It's whenever we see someone in need and we go forth and we help that person, not necessarily because they asked for us to help, but because we saw that there was a need. And I've been on that end of that blessing many times in my life to where someone saw that I had a need and whether I asked for it or not, they were there for me. A long, long time ago, I didn't know how to install a toilet. And I called Raymond and I said, hey, Raymond. And he is like, well, you got to put this down first. You take that wax ring. And, and I was like, okay, okay. So I put the wax ring down first. He's like, oh, never mind. I'll be over there in a second. <laughs> and he come over and he helped me install the toilet. I didn't know. How can we fulfill this commandment of loving one another? Well, it's our actions toward one another. That's, that's how we fulfill that commandment. First John chapter 3, verse 17, he says, But whosoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart or his bowels of compassion from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let, not a, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are in, of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Let us not love just in word, but in deed, in truth, in sincerity of heart. And why do this? Well, we do this because God so loved us that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the, the world through him might be saved. It was the love that God had for us to give us his son. Not that we deserved it, but that he saw our need and he met our greatest need at the cross. And that love was poured out for us upon that cross. We didn't deserve that love. We still don't deserve that love. But he gave it to us and showed it to us and left us an example that we should follow. That's how we fulfill that commandment. 1 Peter 1 verse 22, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Obedience to the gospel brings about this change. Because this whole idea of sincere love of anything was far from me before I became a Christian. Yeah, I had things that I loved or liked, as I thought according to the world. But until I gave my life to Christ, I had no concept of this sincere, true love that's talked about. And this obedience to the gospel brings about this change in us. That we would love one another the way that the Bible talks about us loving one another. The same mercy shown to us on the cross is the same mercy that we would show to one another. The same forgiveness that was shown to us, we would be willing to show to one another. That change is brought when we submit our lives to Christ. Those seeds are planted, that fruit begins to grow. As we mature as Christians, the easier it becomes to display those signs. And it's not that we are doing these things, showing our love to one another, just so others can see us. It's not about that. It's not about me saying, look at how much 
I love someone. Look at what I'm doing for someone because I love them this much. It's, it's not that. Our love is an action that's true. And it can be seen by others. And it should be seen by others. But not to boast anything of us. Not to give ourselves any glory. But to give God the glory for the change that he's made in us. It's not just an empty, meaningless word that we hide behind, but it should be something that's second nature to us, that we show our love for one another. Because Christ gave himself for us, he loved us enough to do that, and he set that bar high. Not, high, not so high that we can't reach it, but that's his standard and it doesn't matter if anyone's around to see our good deed or whatever it is that we do for someone in our action, in our words, because we should be loving in nature regardless of if someone's around or not to see it. So we show our loves in different ways. Now, I mean that individually, we show our love person to person, person to people. We show our love collectively as a church, as a body of believers. But once we do one individually, it just comes natural as a body of believers to do that as well. As a whole body of believers loving one another fervently as the Bible speaks, we're going to do the outpouring that the church would allow us to do collectively. Person to person, that's whether it's here at church, our conduct with one another, whether it's at home with our family, at school with our peers, at work with our, our colleagues, and at Walmart with strangers or wherever it is. We're able to show and display our love for one another and for others, not just our brethren, but just for people that we love and care about. We care about the souls of others. We care about our brothers or our sisters who are in need, and we try our best to take care of those needs when we have the ability to take care of them. Individually, since love is an action, he says, what does it profit in James chapter 2, verse 14? My brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Now, I thought about that. What does it profit a person if they're hungry, if they're in need, if they don't have food? If they don't have clothing or shelter, what does it profit a person? If we have the means that we could help them, yet we do nothing. We just say, well, tough luck, but be warmed and filled. It does nothing for them. It helps them in no way. How do we display the love of Christ in that mean? How can we say we love someone on one hand and not be willing to take action to help someone on the other? Because helping others is what we can do individually. And that's what the Bible tells us. To bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we do it in a good conscience? To say, hey, depart in peace, be filled. I got the, I got the goods for you, but I'm not going to help you. It's a contradiction. When we put on love 
It's easy to tend to those needs. When we put on love, it's easy to show the tender mercies and the forgiveness that it talks about in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12, where he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That's the glue of perfection there. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. By helping others, by putting on that love, it becomes easy to put on those tender mercies, to show that kindness to others, to be humble, to be meek, to be long-suffering with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive someone when they've done you wrong. It's easy to not hold grudges. Do you have a problem with anyone in your life that you know of? How's your love level? Not, not just your love level toward your brethren, but how's your love level for God in this regard? Because the more we love God and the more we hold to God's word and we keep that word close to our heart, the easier it is for us to forgive when someone trespasses us. We get fouled up over little trivial things sometimes that don't mean anything. A disagreement will cause someone to fall into chaos. It really means nothing. Once we have that love for one another, though, it's easy to overlook those little differences because we're not called to be exactly alike, but we're unified together in the body by the gospel of Christ, not which football team we root for or baseball or hockey or whatever it is that people... If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. This is so important to us. That's why love is that bond of perfection. Because if we have that love that he talks about there, if we keep that close to our hearts and always be mindful of that, then it's easy to not hate your brother. It's easy to be forgiving, and as I said, tender mercy, long-suffering. It brings about that unity. Acts chapter 2, when the church was formed, the day of Pentecost, you had the very first gospel sermon that was preached, and as he preached to this crowd of people from all over the world at that time, as they knew it, they preached the gospel, and it unified them. They heard the good news about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the forgiveness of sins through him, what they needed to do to be saved. And those that heard it and believed it were obedient to it. And it says of those people, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer 
And in verse 46, he says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. All those people that we read about were not joined together because of some organization that they were a part of. Rather, they were drawn together by the gospel of Christ. That's what caused this. This was the cause and the effect of it. The cause of their unity was the gospel being preached. That was what glued them together. The gospel brought about that. But it also brought about the change in so many people that day because it wasn't just on that day. They continued daily from there with one another. And the people saw that unity that they now had and desiring that unity. That's, I believe, one way that the, the Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved and their continuation of that with one another, being around each other, having fellowship with one another, not just being there at the place of worship at the temple at the time but they continued in house to house they broke bread with one another they fellowshiped with one another not just at church but in each other's homes and maybe in a lot of ways there's a lot that we can do right there to improve our own selves on and maybe we don't talk about this part enough because whereas I love you it's a little bit inconvenient for me to come to your house every day or for you to come to mine it don't matter. Y'all can come over whenever y'all want. House is dirty or house is clean. It don't matter. Just make yourself welcome. You know, you got people in this community that are lost, that have no sense of belonging, that see the church as a beacon, as a light, as a ray of hope in a world that's lost and dying. That's what churches are for people who are lost. But what kind of unity do they see in those, in, in our church? Well, I believe they see a great deal of unity. There was a great deal of unity yesterday when we came together to do the work day up here. It was a good time. I mean, we got these lights knocked out pretty quick, you know, and we got the blinds dusted, the windows cleaned, the floors vacuumed. I mean, all these things that were just, we came together and did it, and we had fellowship with one another in that it was good experience for all of us and there's many ways that we can show that light to the community around us a, a church is known by their works now each one of the churches there at asia minor that jesus uh, talked to in revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3 each one of them jesus said i know your works we're known by our works. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, he knows our works, what we're doing as a body of believers. Not just individually as believers, but as the church as a whole. Whether it's good or bad, Jesus knows it. If we've labored for the cause of Christ, if we're withstanding false teachers, if we're hot or cold, if we have love for one another, if we have love for our community, and the list could go on. Just go and look at everything he says to those seven churches. 
A church is known by their works. But once we have individually that love for one another that we're called to have, then by default, collectively, we're going to have that love for each other collectively, for our community collectively. And we're going to pour out those good works because of it. John chapter 15 talking about personal growth because whenever you first come into Christ and you first are obedient to Christ, you may not have all of these characteristics. It's a growth. It's something that you continue to work on. It took me forever to finally get past it. I love you, (laughs) but it's something that we continue to work on. Jesus said, I'm a true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into a fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are all my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things I I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my uh, Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you that you love one another. If you abide in the love of Christ, then by nature you're going to extend that same love that you received to others. Jesus taught his disciples this means of love. He taught his disciples how important this love was, that they abide in his word, that they abide in him, that they abide in his love. And he taught his disciples. And on the Great Commission, he told his disciples that they were going to go forth and teach all nations, all things whatsoever he had commanded them. That was the same thing that they were teaching though on the day of Pentecost. 
when they preached that very first gospel lesson, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What were they continuing in? But the love of Christ. They were teaching what he had taught them. Galatians 5.22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Our job as a Christian is thus to bear fruit. So what kind of fruit do we produce? Do we produce any at all? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Start with that one. How do you love today? How do you love the brethren? How do you love your family today? What is it? Are we just giving lip service to this word love, or is that love coupled with action? As we draw to the conclusion here, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, from our reading this morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. A couple of weeks ago, Ian talked about what is the church. And to put it simply, the church is the called out. They're called out of the world by the gospel. That same gospel is what unites us. As John talked about, united we stand. We're united not so much that we're united by which team we go for, what sport car we drive, or whatever it is that we have. But we're united by the gospel. The church displayed this unity that the world didn't know anything about. They were called out of the world and displayed love and unified with one another. They shared this outpouring of love. And it spread. People who saw this were amazed by it. This was something that was contagious. And it is contagious to this day if we outpour the love that they had. The same thing that called them out of the world then is the same thing that calls us out of the world today. It's what drives, our, it's what drives us. That love, the love for God, the love for one another. And so, as we close, how is your love for God this morning? How is your love for one another? This Are you born of God? You cannot know the love of God without being born of God. Do you love God? Do you love your brethren? The first step to being obedient, the first step is by being obedient to the gospel. Once you give your life to Christ, and you begin to bear that fruit of love, of meekness, of humility, of kindness, 
of long-suffering, those things begin to come. Being obedient is what adds you to them, and that's what unifies us together this morning is the gospel and our love for one. And so, as we end, I would ask you, how is your love? How's your love for God? How's your love for the gospel? How's your love for your brethren? If you've never been obedient to the gospel, you don't know that love. And you can take that step this morning to do. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling because you, you have had a hard time forgiving one another. We're here ready to forgive you, to help you, to pray with you, to do whatever it is because we love you and we want to see. And so the, the invitation is open to you and we would invite you to come now at this time as we stand and sing the song selected.